Galatians chapter 4. You'll remember in Galatians chapter 4, Paul's using the analogy of enslavement, bondage on the one hand and being free on the other hand. And the question for us as we read through Galatians chapter 4 is, what, what is this in reference to? What is, he, what is he speaking about in terms of being enslaved to something or being free from it? What is, what is that something that we are looking at? Um, in... Uh, in Ed Wharton's book, uh, Free, uh, Freed for Freedom Studies in Galatians, he asked the question, well, is Paul talking about here uh, just this idea of being enslaved to mere Jewish rituals, okay? Or just, or being, in, is Paul talking about being enslaved to the tedium of the law? Is he talking about the, the day in, day out, uh, ongoing observance, observances of the law of Moses, okay? And there are some schools of thought out there who subscribe to that, that that's what he's talking about, being enslaved to those things. Uh, the ritual, the sacrifice, the observances. Um, but uh, if you look here at Galatians chapter 4, you begin to understand that there's a lot bigger issue here, Okay? Number one, there's nothing wrong with God's law. Nothing. It's perfect. Okay? If you'll remember, we read last week where the psalmist said on multiple occasions that the law was his delight and that the law of the Lord is perfect. And that it gives, uh, that it is, it, the, the psalmist says it's his delight and that he rejoices in the law. Okay? So, would someone who has that that spiritual connection to this law, this uh, this finding finding God, finding uh, uh, closeness in God to God, would that would we expect someone to say that who was uh, worn down by the drudgery of the law? Uh, and that's really not consistent. Those two those two thoughts are not really consistent with each other. What we find here is is the idea that the enslavement in Galatians chapter 4 is being enslaved to the very thing that mankind's been enslaved to predating the law of Moses. Going all the way back to Genesis when God told Adam and Eve, "This I'm, you're here in the garden, this is yours to, to take care of and to live in and, and to enjoy. Everything is created for you. Uh, you won't lack anything. The, the only thing is don't eat of the tree. And he told them not to eat of it. But they disobeyed, and because of disobedience, sin and death come into the world. The law of sin and death comes into the world at that very time. The law of sin and death predating, therefore, the law of Moses. And in Romans chapter, we read it last week, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man 
sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. And why, why does death spread to all men? Well, he says right there, because all sin. If you fall prey to the curse of sin, then unfortunately, you are going to fall prey to the curse of death, the loss of this is precisely what Paul is talking about being enslaved to in Galatians chapter 4. Now what the law of Moses has done, we've seen in Galatians chapter 3, is it establishes the fact that all men are under the curse of the law of sin and death. Now the law of Moses was given to the Hebrews, but it was instructive to the whole world we have already found out that the whole world is under this curse of sin and death. Okay? David, would you lead us in a word of prayer? Galatians chapter 4, thank you. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, So also we, while we were children, who's he talking about? Paul's talking about the Hebrew people, and he's, he's including himself in that. He says, Also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, verse 4, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The law's ritual was not a curse, important right there, but a blessing. However, it exposed mankind's utterly sinful nature. This is what we're talking about in just a minute. See, God's law was perfect, and it had a precise intention, and that intention was to expose the sinfulness of all men. It was given to Moses, enacted to the Hebrew people, and in the, uh, in the demonstration of it, in the observance of it, it establishes, it shuts up the whole world under sin. Galatians chapter 3. However, it exposed mankind's utterly sinful nature, pronounced him a bond slave to sin. Not a bond slave to God's law, but, a, a, but the law exposes the fact that man is sinful. Does that, are you tracking with me? And it revealed his inability to save himself by such a legal system. The law was to prove to man precisely, it was the, the, precisely the point, is to prove to man that here's this law and you can't keep it. 
It was when men, listen, it was when men perverted the nature of the law into legalism. As these false teachers had done here in, in Galatia, that's the, whole, that's the whole point of what's going on here. You have a group of people who have come in and they're disrupting the faith of these Gentile Christians, saying, look, you can't be a Christian yet. You've got to become observant to the law of Moses first. You've got to be like us before you can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no, you're missing the point. So really, when you look at it, the problem here is not legalism as so much as it is as, as legalism as a basis for, for false teaching. Legalism is the problem, but it's symptomatic of something else. Okay? It's symptomatic of the false teaching. In Colossians chapter 2, Starting in verse 16, Paul writes, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause, by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Do you, do you see the contrast here? Things that are of men and things that are of God, okay? If God gives you something, it is yours to... Observe, obey, follow. If it's something from men, it's of no value. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, Colossians 2 and verse 20, why as if you are living in the world do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Now listen to verse 23 very carefully. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So you mean there's things out there that appear to be wise? There are things out there that appear to be spiritual? But Paul says in the end, they're what? It's just all made up. It's just a facade. It's just all make-believe. When, when man, it was when men perverted the law of God into legalism that it became an unbearable yoke. 
okay? Uh, we need not go into the fact we're, we're all in, in here, I would assume or uh, understand that by the time Jesus, by the time you get to the Gospels and the, and the things that, teach, that Jesus is teaching, the, the, peop, the types of people that you're dealing with, the circumstances that he found himself in, it becomes quite clear that all these different sects of Judaism had their own, uh, they had their own pet ideas about spirituality, about religion, about the observance of God's law. And because of that, they had begun to add to and take away from the law that God had given to them to observe. And every single time, Jesus points to the law of God and says, this is what the law says, but you say this. Okay? Uh, go back and look at Matthew chapter 15 sometime, or Mark chapter 7, and read that. See what we're talking about. But this all, listen, this all has to do with false teaching. These Judaizers that have come into Galatia, and, and are disrupting the faith of people who, who up until this point believed that, you know, I'm a Gentile. These are Gentiles anyway, okay? They had disrupted the faith of these people saying, look, you, you, can't, be, you can't be a Christian. You're not a Jew yet, okay? Paul's saying that's contrary to the gospel message. But the, the foundation, the underlying problem, again, is false teaching. This legalism is just just a manifestation of false teaching. And all throughout Scripture we see that how uh, false teaching manifests itself in many different ways. Okay? But this, this just happens to be the one we're dealing with here in the book of Galatians. Now, when you go to Titus chapter 1, and Paul is writing to Titus about... Uh, making sure that elders are in place in the local congregation, he's going to deal with this issue of false teaching. Okay? And I'm going to read this, not necessarily as a study of the eldership, but that one of the functions of the eldership is to guard against this false teaching. Okay? In Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 7, Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 7, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, listen carefully, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine, not false doctrine, sound doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. Now, you can't expose false teaching if you're not able to recognize what false teaching is. And the only way that you can recognize false teaching is to be rooted in sound doctrine. 
you don't know the one stick is crooked if you don't lay it against the straight one. Okay? Verse 10, listen carefully. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Now, who's he talking about there? He's talking about he's talking precisely about those same people that have come into these churches at Galatia and has upset the faith of all these Gentile Christians. Now listen to verse 11. I want to read verse 10, but listen to verse 11 too. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, verse 11, who must be silenced. They should not be allowed to speak. Because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, listen carefully, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Not paying attention to what? Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. In other words, expose the teachings of men by holding forth the teachings of God. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4 and talk about this idea of bondage. Paul is very explicit that those who appeal to the works of the law as a means of justification are cursed by the law. The point is, is the whole purpose of the law is to condemn. And that's important to our understanding. We need to understand that the law's purpose is to condemn. Rightly so. It's good, proper, and just. It's in accordance with the person and personality of God for the law to condemn us. For the, Listen carefully to what I'm saying. It is good, and it is righteous, and it is just for the law to condemn us. God, in other words, another way of saying it is that God has every right to condemn us. Okay? Thus, the law. So when the law condemns us, we say, well, the law is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. That's why those who appeal to the justification of the law will only find cursing. Because that's all there is there, is condemnation. You're not going to find justification. Because you are not capable of keeping the law. This is due to the fact that none are righteous of ourselves. We all have sinned, and even Christians who walk in the light ever so sincerely 
are not without sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you go to the book of 1 John chapter 1, John points out that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, what? why would it be necessary for the blood of Jesus to continually cleanse us if we were still, if we were, if we were perfect, if we were without sin? We are needful of the ongoing blessing of forgiveness of sins. When Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and he talks about receiving the gift of forgiveness of sins, it is a, it is a, it's not a one-time gift. If you are in Christ, you that is a that is a gift that you continually possess and receive. You enjoy that gift ongoing. And it is further a fact, explains Paul, that the law cannot free us from the guilt and penalty of our sin. Instead, it holds us guilty with every single infraction. And God has every right to do that. That is the nature of a legal system. Paul strains in Galatians to make that clear, and therefore Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And that curse is what? Sin, you die. But that law was already at work. The law just magnifies it and condemns the whole world. At the moment men are cursed under the law for their sin, they are held in bondage. So being a slave, this idea of being a slave or being held in bondage, in, in Galatians chapter 4, is the idea of being a slave or being held in bondage to what? Death. At the moment men are cursed under the law, they are held in bondage by the law, this guilt, this penalty of their sin. Now, if you look back at Galatians chapter 4, it says in verse 3, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. He's identifying the status relationship of the Hebrew people to God. Now he had chosen them. He had chosen those people as as a as as a people through whom he would he would deliver this message. He would use these people to condemn the whole world and bring them to the knowledge of the curse of sin and death. And he talked about because of this fact that although he had chosen them and therefore they are children and heirs because he chose them, they were under a guardian or management system, the law. And if a, if, if a guardian system or a management system is still in place, then the child is no different than a what? A slave. And he talks about here in, in chapter 4 how uh, <clears throat> the 
He talks about in, in chapter 4, there, uh, starting in verse 7, he says, Therefore you, you, the Galatians, the Gentiles, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. They were held, the Gentiles were held in bondage to the law of sin and death. They were guilty of sin, and therefore the curse of, curse of the law or the curse of sin spread to them also, and that's death. So what he's pointing out is at this particular, or at that particular point in time, that the Jew is a slave, just like the Gentile is a slave. They're held in bondage to the law of sin and death. Okay? Verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What he's trying to convince them of is because of Christ and because of no other reason. Because of Christ, because of no other reason, you have been redeemed, you have been purchased out of your bondage, and you have been established in the household of God. And if you've been established in the household of God, adopted as a son, then you are an heir. You are a recipient of the blessing of the promise made to Abraham by God. And that is that your faith has been credited to you as righteousness. In other words, God has made his decision. It's a decision that takes place in the mind of God that he will, because of your faith, he will consider you righteous. He's not saying that you yourself are righteous. What he's saying is, is that God has decided to consider you as if you are righteous. It's a choice that takes place in the mind of God. Does that make sense? <clears throat> is that is that the first lesson? Now don't forget that we read last week uh, what Paul says to the church at Rome something quite similar. He says in verse four, chapter 8 and verse 14, he says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. There's that, there's that idea then of, of being purchased out of slavery and being established in the family of God. Uh, uh, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself, listen carefully, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. And if heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Now, if you go to, if you, that's in Romans chapter 8. But if you look at what Paul has to say earlier in Romans chapter 7, he, he clarifies or he kind of crystallizes this idea of 
being held in bondage, held in slavery, but being redeemed out of it, purchased out of it. You don't have you don't have any hope. You you don't have the money. You don't have you don't have the uh, you you don't have any bargaining chip. Okay. You you have no equitable uh, items to 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 establish this like kind exchange where you can come up out of that bondage. There's nothing you can give. Poor, broke, got nothing. Okay, and so you have no reason to expect deliverance. You got that idea in your mind now? It's all being hopeless. In Romans chapter seven and verse seven. Paul begins, or he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. The law came from God. It's good. It's perfect. It does exactly what God intended for it to do. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. He says I came to know sin. So at some point, Paul developed the knowledge of sin. Okay? In other words, at some point in his life, he came to understand the magnitude of what sin is and what it does in terms of the relationship with God. Okay? The knowledge of sin. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 7 and verse 8, listen carefully. But sin... Taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me. The commandment didn't tell you to go sin. Okay? Taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Listen to verse 9 very carefully. For I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Now what is he talking about there? Paul says, once I was alive. Was, was Paul, was Paul, did, did, is, is, uh, why not? He was a child. The Hebrew male did not become accountable to the law of Moses until he was 13 years old. That, that, was, that was part of the law. Okay? So once before the law came, he was alive. He was not dead spiritually. Um... We'll, we'll pick up there next time.